All right, good evening, church. All right, let's continue with I am the way and the truth and the life. The amazing passage about Jesus. We're going to Ephesians 4. How can you be the way, the truth, and the life, the only source, and be so incredibly humble? Jesus, right? We'll talk more about that in our next uh, series of lessons. But tonight I want to begin reading Ephesians chapter 4, the source. So imagine what we're doing. We're kind of pitting Ephesians 4 up against Acts 17. We'll get there next. And I want you to think about what Jesus was saying uh, by way of inspiration and his in his message uh, as spoken through Paul here. But what is it that Paul was saying uh, as a direct reflection or uh, argument against what everybody else was saying. So here's what is said or stated. Verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he um, ascended, what does it mean except that he also has descended into the lower parts of the earth. So Jesus Christ, right, the one who ascended, the one who, who descended, uh, the one who led a host of captives, captive, there's one Lord, one faith, one body, one baptism, there's all there's these ones and this unity that's found only in God. And Jesus says, uh, if you will, by inspiration, I am the only source. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there is no other way. Well, think about what the rest of the world thought. Uh, Acts 17 Beginning at verse 29, look at the amazing contrast. Paul stood on the, in the midst of the Aragopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an inscription, or excuse me, an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And so on this on this mountain, Mars Hill, right? On Mars Hill and the Areopagus, there's thousands of gods. They say about 3,000 different gods. Look at the contrast. You know, here Paul says, Jesus is the way, the only source, the life, and the truth. There is no other option. And he goes to this place and they have thousands of gods uh, in front of them. And Paul begins to proclaim to them, continuing in verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined... Their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him 
and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offsprings. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art, the thought of man. And so Jesus is the only source. And he gets to this, this, this mountaintop, this hill, and he, he explains to them that there is no other. So imagine that sermon uh, in the face of these people. And you go and you say, you worship thousands of gods. I want to talk to you about the unknown God. I want to talk to you about the only God, the only source. I mean, that's why so many times uh, they had their lives threatened, uh, you know, stoning and all those types of things because they were preaching a lesson and a message that was contrary to what they enjoyed and what they followed. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. So Jesus is the only source, and being the only source of salvation, um, he was humble, and he came to the earth, and he surrendered to God, and became servant to humanity, and he's the only source. No arrogance at all. Jesus. You have to love, you have to love Jesus. Um, verse 13 of Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law concerning commandments, contained in ordinances that he himself might make two, the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And why would Jesus want peace? with a world of chaotic people. Why would God want to give us a chance over and over and over again? It's because He loves us, right? Regardless of what of what the Romans were doing, regardless of what the, the Jews were doing, regardless of what the Gentiles, generically speaking, were doing, the barbarians, the Scythians, regardless of the fact that that they were going to crucify him. He was more than willing to die on our behalf. The next verse, in verse 16, it might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. There is no other way That's not a very popular topic today, right? When we tell people, listen to this this sermon. Uh, we're talking to the, a bunch of folks in the world, and they're from all types of religious views, and they love God, and they want to be one with God. And you go and you say, there's no other way. There's only one church. Jesus died, established one church. See, he says it right here. There's one body, there's one church. He tells us emphatically that we have to get into that way. There's only one way to be saved. It's not the sinner's prayer. It's through baptism. See, he tells us right here to wash away our sins. We must die, um, if you will, in the waters of salvation. We must have repentance in our heart. There's no other way. 
Well, that's the message of peace. And yet it's such a hostile message today. It's considered, um, you know, there's, you, you folks are too narrow-minded. You know, you, you folks, you, you believe you're the only ones going to heaven and no one else. You've heard this, right? No one else is going to get there. And who do you think you are teaching one way and one? Well, that's what Jesus said. And it's, so the hostile message today is the same hostile message that was of their day. And, and so we have to continue as, as this loving Father has given us this word through the Holy Spirit. We have to continue to preach the message that brings salvation the only way, and it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's not some made-up way. It's not, it's not a feel-good thing. It's not what you feel in your heart or what you want or what you desire or what you've heard or what you follow all of your life, and that makes it okay. It's not that. It's, it's what the loving Savior told us. There's only one, one way. I am the, emphatically, the definite article, the way, not a way, right? And yet he's so humble. It's pretty amazing. Look at verse 1, chapter 1. Look at verse um, verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. There's only one way, right? All the spiritual blessings in Christ belongs to the church. And that's it. But when you, when you talk to people about that, it becomes highly offensive, right? Now, today, there's confusion, just as there was confusion in the days of, of the emperors and uh, of Rome. Turn to John 18. Jesus Christ is standing before Pontius Pilate. And uh, they're in an open dialogue. And we'll begin at verse 36. Listen to the confusion that is found in, in, in the mind of humanity at this time. Verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... Then my servants will be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the, the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Now, how true was that statement? Right? It was extremely true because we're not talking about the angels. We're talking about the zealots. <laughs> I mean, everybody hated Rome. And the zealots were looking for opportunities to take Rome down. So Jesus said, you know, and Simon was a zealot, one of the apostles. So Jesus says, this is not what this is about. We're not trying to take over the Roman Empire. We don't want that. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And he, he, t- he says, I'm speaking the truth. Pilate, verse 37. Pilate, therefore, said to him, uh, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The truth. Everyone who is of the truth. Here's my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Why would he ask that question? He was just so confused in this day. He goes on. And when he had said this, uh, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Because Jesus Christ truly is the truth. He is the way. There is no other. And what a joy to know that we are in that way. Right? We're in that way. We are part of the way and the truth. And we have the life because of Jesus 
And we, we ought to remember to be proud of that and be excited. Not proud in the sense that we've accomplished something great, but proud in the sense that God opened our eyes and opened our hearts as we surrender to Him to allow Him to do what He does, and that is to bring salvation uh, to the world. John chapter 8, and God wants to save us. He wants to save the whole world, but the whole world isn't listening. At one time, I wasn't listening. Verse 31, regarding the truth. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, or who had believed him, excuse me, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth. He says, God says, I've been giving you the truth the entire time that I've been on the earth. The truth. Not a truth. The truth. Not my truth. (laughs) Not your truth. The truth. The only truth. John 17. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So not just that Jesus has brought the truth. The Holy Spirit has inspired and given the truth. The word of God is what is what sanctifies us. This is the truth. And so now think about that. Uh, back in, in the days of, of Rome, and you, you may have um, a book that, you know, some quotes from Socrates, or some quotes from some, you know, great, poet or whomever back in those days some religious leader and and they had books that they followed and then we we have the bible and and the the apostles uh, as they're writing these letters are saying these come from god this is the truth and and you had to you had to take this this book this letter uh, and later the the whole book if you will later uh, in the centuries and you say this is the truth and yet today if we go into bible studies in the homes some people question whether this is the truth. And they look at other books that are out there and declare them as being the truth. But there's only one truth. Jesus said that. Right? Think about how controversial our message really is. It's a controversial message that really shouldn't be. But we think that Today, we're different from the days of Rome. We're no different. It's the same stuff. Right? Satan, one of the lessons of life, as you, as you read the Word of God, let's turn to 1 John chapter 5, is that Satan is the same all the time. Right? He, he just has, uh, you know, he takes, a, he takes an idea, you know, an idea that he gets from us. Uh, that, oh, these folks like this. And so, he uses it century after century. He just gives it a different name and a different face. Right? And it's just like things go out of style, clothing, and it comes back in the style. It's the same stuff, right? Over and over and over and over. And he knows we keep falling for it. So one of the things that people have fallen for from the very beginning of time, uh, after the Garden of Eden, they've fallen for, maybe God's message isn't the only message. You know, Eve, listen to Satan. Maybe God's message isn't the only message. Maybe God's message isn't the only source of truth. And well, it's destroyed us over and over again throughout, throughout history. First John 5 in verse 20. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Notice the emphasis on true, right? True. This is it. This is what's right. This is what is true. It is true. It is true. It has been tested. It is true. You can trust the Word of God. And that's invaluable. Well, think about this. You have 3,000 gods, so you have 3,000 plus doctrines back in those days. And everyone's trying to figure out what in the world is the truth. And one of the most cunning doctrines that Satan uses is the, are the ones that he couples with truth first. A little bit of truth, and then veers you off at the last moment. You know, it's like that really good sermon or Bible study you hear, and you go, wow, and it really touches your heart. And it's true. It is scriptural. It is right on the money. And then at the end of the Bible study or at the end of the sermon, they say, all right, right now, let's just raise our hand and let's ask Jesus into our heart. You know, everything was great up until what? Up until plan of salvation. With Jesus, the truth is the truth from the beginning to the end. Every premise supports the conclusion, and the conclusion is based on the premises, and they're all based on truth. It's all true. The next thought. He says, I am the life. Let's go to Romans 8. The source of life. So again, on the Areopagus, when you, when you go there and you're thinking about life, well there they had many ideas about life. That you can get life through Zeus and you can get life through Hermes, et cetera, et cetera. And there's the, the Egyptian gods and all the gods all around. And people are so confused. How in the world do we find life? The Egyptians were confused, right? As they looked to Ray, the sun, they looked to all their gods to find life. And when Pharaoh's son, the firstborn, was dead, he couldn't find life. And God had been telling him all along, through Moses all along, that life is only found in God. There's no other place. He's the only source. And, and God came down, right? He gave life in the beginning. He breathed into that lifeless body, life, Adam. Romans 8 and verse 11. And now we're talking about spiritual life and the source of all life. But the Spirit, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. That life, the very reason that we are alive physically, spiritually, is because of the greatness of our God. There is no other reason. It's not only because I'm breathing and I have the breath of life in me, but it's because God allows me to be alive today. He is the source of life as we know it. He is the source of eternal life, that which we understand, but we still need more information in regards to the future that we'll learn one day when we cross over. John chapter 1, when John begins declaring Jesus, you know, his divinity, in John 1, he talks about the beginning of the world. He says in verse 4, in him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And so, the early Christians, the early believers were supposed to listen to these teachings 
and put it all together to recognize what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the uh, amazing, powerful point is, he says, no one gets to the Father. You can't go around Jesus. (laughs) You have to go through Jesus. There is no other way. So why would such a teaching, uh, we'll look at John 5, why would such a teaching that is emphasized over and over again throughout the Scriptures, why would that teaching be considered by you know, the world today as um, a a narrow dogma. Well, because it is a narrow dogma. <laughs> there is no other. So if, if we're talking to folks who, who have no belief in Jesus, it's a very sad reality. We're talking to folks who, who follow some other idol, um, idolatrous God or situation. There is no other solution for their end sad and that that's the power of of god's message to us we have a big job to do right it's not our fault that folks will not surrender but if the opportunity is in front of us we should be willing and ready to declare jesus to a lost and dying world remember in their day when they opted to choose when they opted to declare jesus they were looking at life and death they could have been killed on the spot, but they were given the blessing of God. John 5 and verse 24, to continue to live on the earth. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. So spiritual death, while we're alive without Jesus, we're all spiritually dead. But with Jesus, we're spiritually alive in Christ. And everybody wants Jesus, who who wants to go to heaven, who realizes that's the only way, but not the way Jesus declares him. Not the way Jesus says. They want Jesus in their own way, and that's an impossibility. He goes on to say, verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, An hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to his Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So God demonstrates, Romans 5 tells us this, he demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were enemies of the cross, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how could we not love Jesus? And not only not love Jesus, but not continue to fall in love with Jesus. You know, more and more every every single day. I want to go back to Acts uh, chapter 17 again. And I want to look at verse uh, 24. Because I want to close this part out with Jesus is the reason, right? He's the reason that we breathe. And so in our, in our prayer life, when we say thank you, 
sometimes I think about my thank you in comparison to how maybe I thank God for other things, but the very breath that I have, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. He's the very breath. He's the very reason. He's the reason that we have been able to share in such great relationships with each other. He's the reason that we're able to meet each other, that we're able to fellowship and rejoice with one another. He is the reason that we're able to look each other in the eyes and encourage one another. He is the only reason. Isn't that great news? And and he decided that today would be another day. We could see each other and live and move and have our very being. He made that decision for us. In verse 24 of Acts 17, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by human hands or with human hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. Everything. Everything. Every breath that I take is a gift. Isn't that great? Look at verse 28. For in him we In Him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are His offspring. It's not just living, it's moving. (laughs) We live, we move, and we're here today. Isn't it funny that, um, what is it, the Church of Scientology would say, well, are we really here? <laughs> just, folks are just confused. Sometimes we're confused because we want to be. We just like to be controversial. Right? Turn to Job. Way back to Job 27. I want to grab this. You know, as Job is going through all of the, the difficulties in his life and the struggles. And he's, you know, I don't know what, what, his, uh, what his words are sounding like as far as the, the power of his voice through such suffering. But he he musters up the ability by way of inspiration to say this. Verse 1. Then Job continued his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my rights, and the Almighty, who has embittered my soul, for as long as life is in me, and the breath of God is in my nostrils. My lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. Far be it from me that I should declare you right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Job recognized, though he was embittered, though there were amazing difficulties and struggles in his life, he knew where his life came from. He knew where his true gifts have come from. And he never forgot where he came from. Right? And the beautiful gift that God had given to him all of his life up until this point where now he's suffering and struggling.
But he said, even though I'm struggling and suffering, I'm never going to let go of my integrity. Isn't that great? See, and that's what we learn about, about, you know, our relationship with Jesus is that we never have to give in. We never have to, you know, as uh, the, the emperors would say, sprinkle a little ash on the throne and we'll let you live. And the Christians would say, never. Send me home. <laughs> wow. I mean, what if we had a book about that? All the, you can read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read Josephus. That's a long, tough read. But you can read through those books and read about these instances where these, these children of God had a really good understanding of life. And they were like, you know, I am not going to give in to you. You know, number one, you probably are still going to kill me anyway. And I'm not going to stand before God unprepared. And they were willing to give their lives to Jesus. That tells you how impressive. We don't, I don't know that we get it the way that, uh, it, it, we get a good picture, but we never stood next to Jesus. You know, Peter died crucified upside down. Ready and willing, like just, yeah, take my life. The, the, all the apostles were, were martyred for the cause of Christ. And, and it, you know, when you read the positive books of martyrs, you, you read the tradition of what happened. But these men were ready to die for Jesus. I mean, it was just, it's just amazing. It's just when you think it's a wonderful account of God's people who got to rub shoulders with Jesus. And when you rub shoulders with Jesus, you just can't help but to love him. And they loved him so very much that even John, was on the island of Patmos, but he didn't complain. It's okay, I'll be here until I die. So be it, if that's the will of God. Job chapter 33. When Eliphaz, or Elihu rather, chimes in, uh, and, and he begins to speak about God. Verse 1. However, now Job, please hear my speech and listen to all my words. Behold now, I open my mouth, my tongue in my mouth speaks. My words are from the uprightness of my heart, and my lips speak knowledge sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. They had an understanding, right? That every breath, so all throughout the day, we could say, He did it again. (laughs) <laughs> he did it again, over and over. He's the reason. So Jesus is very, uh, the teaching is very narrow. It is the only way. It is the only truth. And he is the only source of life. There is no other. And though, again, it's not considered speech that is pleasantly received in the world, it is the truth. It is the truth. And so while we have opportunity to help people um, to understand God in a greater way, we must continue to do so. So now Jesus goes from there. The last I am statement. He says, I am the true vine. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. John uh, chapter 15, and I just want to read verses 1 through verse 11, and then come back and grab uh, some of those verses, and and, um, and then we'll conclude. 
because the quarter ends next um, next week. Next Wednesday is the last quarter, and, and we're going to uh, just just for your information, we're going to leave the the idea of falling in love with Jesus, but we're going to stick with the theme of Jesus. We're going to continue to talk about the greatness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. But Jesus says, I'm not just a vine. I'm the only vine, right? The vine. So we'll look at John 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As soon as the branch can, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. I am the true vine. I want to stop there, and we're going to pick up next week to finish out um, this true vine. Actually, I think I better read. Yeah, let's let's um, let me just go on for another two minutes, so that way next week I don't run out of time, and then I finish this. Um, so. Jesus is speaking allegorically, allegorically here. You know, it's an extreme metaphor, if you will. And he's describing his father and, and his relationship. The relationship between the father and Jesus and the relationship between the father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit and us. Right? So he's talking about this divine relationship that exists between us. And as he is teaching this, he is denoting individuality. That's really important, right? So God's looking at a church, looking at a people, and he's saying, okay, here's the church over the entire world. But every church member is an individual. So God looks at individuals and says, you individuals are individual branches on the vine. Individual. Because some of the branches are going to be plucked, cut off when God prunes it. Some of the branches are going to be pruned. Every person is a branch and independently accountable to God. And that's what John 15 is talking about. And so I'm going to look at uh, three more verses and then we're going to end and we'll come back and pick up these three verses. Uh, John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me. So notice every 
individual branch, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Verse 8, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Remember what Jesus said, but you can do nothing without me. There is no bearing good fruit without God. Every deed that we ever do, that is a good deed, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, is a qualified deed. It is a deed that is has been justified by our God. In other words, um, you you might love, we love each other, we love all, but our love is qualified by God. And what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit sanctifies, sets apart our work. Our work is acceptable to God as a good work because of Jesus. And through Jesus, we can do nothing that glorifies God without Jesus. And that's why anyone out of the church, though they are great people, from a a human standpoint, cannot bring glory to God. It's an impossibility for any person to bring glory to God without Jesus Christ qualifying, justifying that deed, sanctifying that deed. That's what Galatians chapter 5 is talking about when it said walk by the fruit of the Spirit. Think about this for one minute. I'll leave you with this thought. Hitler loved. He loved his wife, maybe. I'm sure he did. He loved his children. I'm sure he did. He loved his family. I'm sure he did. But his love wasn't qualified. Not by God. So even though you read the fruit of the Spirit, you can't say, see, Hitler practiced the fruit of the Spirit. No, he didn't. You cannot do that without the Holy Spirit. And only those with the Holy Spirit will have qualified works of God, declaring this then a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. If it were not that way, we would work our way to heaven. But we can't work our way to heaven. So we can do nothing that glorifies God without Jesus. So I want you to soak on that, think about that uh, for just a bit. And Lord willing, if, uh, tonight, if you are a child of God and you would like prayers made in your behalf, um, if you are not a child of God and you are struggling in your faith, you want to come to Jesus so that you can have a qualified work. Surrender to him in the waters of baptism. Tonight's a great night. Tonight is the night. And we invite you to do so. We'll have a Devo in a moment and a song. God bless you and thank you very much for your time.